welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. I'm Sheng Peng, editor-in-chief of San Jose Hockey Now. You can also find my work at NBC Sharks and on Twitter at Sheng underscore Peng. And I'm Keegan McNally. You can find me on Twitter at halfwall underscore hockey, at my website half-wallhockey.com, or at San Jose Hockey Now. This week, Shang, what do we got? I, we have a very exciting guest this week, or actually maybe exciting is not the right word, a uh, guest to commiserate with. Craig nah. Morgan with PHNX Sports. He's been covering the Coyotes since 2000, and he's a man that knows all about rough starts to a season. In 2017-18 and 21-22, the Coyotes both started the season 0-10-1, just like your Sharks. And so we asked Craig how he got through the season personally, and more importantly to you guys, uh, what can Sharks fans look forward to in these very, very hard, not hard to play against, but hard to get through years? Yeah, it was a fun interview. Craig had lots of interesting insights about those seasons, and a lot of it felt very echoey of what the Sharks are going through currently. So it was it was fascinating to, to listen to him talk. Um, I like that word, and echoey. Echoing. Um, so <laughs> echoey. Uh, echoey. Um, so this week, before we get to Craig, uh, we got a couple of things. Um, I'm happy. That's the the first um, proclamation of this week is I'm happy, and anytime the Sharks are going to make me happy in a week, a, it's going to be rare. And then B, I'm going to wear a jersey of the Sharks. So that's that's my new proclamation for this this um, this podcast is anytime I'm happy, you'll see me in a Sharks jersey. I'm not so, going to wear a jersey because all my jerseys are Kings jerseys. <laughs> anytime I have a USA. You, I have a USA jersey. I have a USA jersey. Uh, true. I'm trying to think of something with the Kings that we could do for you to get into a Kings jersey. But yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Anyway, <laughs> so why the, the Sharks, what we're going to cover this week, why they made me happy this week. Um, two wins after a season of losing so far. Um, Greer addressed um, the team before those two wins. We're, t- we're talking about that a little bit. Um, and then a Kalen Addison trade to kind of cap off the week as well. Um, we'll briefly mention the loss to Vegas as well. Um, <laughs> oh, and we should remind everybody that this podcast will come out after the Anaheim game, but this we're recording before the Anaheim game. So if William Eklund drops a hat trick, we might record an emergency add-on to the episode. But yep. for now, let's assume that just like the most of the season, odds are the Sharks get 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 uh get their butts kicked <laughs> odds are and uh and so yeah so uh right now we're going to be talking about uh up to before the anaheim game so the two wins this week and mm-hmm. briefly uh the the butt kicking uh in, in vegas yeah so let's get to the two wins so the sharks win by one goal games um to the edmonton oilers three to two and then or before that to the philadelphia flyers two to one um which again first two wins of the season um felt great and also Mackenzie Blackwood was kind of the hero in, in both games it felt like um getting outshot um heavily both times um Shang what was your initial your thoughts about these two games anything stick out to you Mackenzie Blackwood is him Mm-hmm. He is him. <laughs> uh, we'll see, of course, still early in the season, but it is great to see uh, goaltender win games for the Sharks. We haven't seen that too much over the last uh, couple or last five years. Um, so maybe maybe that that is there for McKenzie. Again, we, when the Sharks traded for him, a lot of talk was about his talent, how uh, Calder, he was, I think, sixth in the Calder voting uh, 2020, maybe it was, uh, was at, at a 
point tab to be sort of Team Canada's starter for the 2022 Olympics before uh, uh, COVID and, and all that stuff. But he was a lot of people were projecting him in, in that spot. And so it's nice to kind of see him live up to uh, start to live up to that to that potential. Hopefully he doesn't get uh, shell shocked uh, behind <laughs> behind this uh, this uh, team defense. But a couple other impressions uh, from the, these wins. Um, and we actually even saw this in the Vegas game. Uh, William Mecklen has looked great next to Thomas Hurdle. And I think that that is sort of uh, to be expected in some ways because Hurdle for all you want to complain about the Sharks should have traded him and the Sharks probably should have traded him a couple of years ago. He is a guy that again, has a history, even if he's not the most dynamic fastest player, he's not Connor McDavid, but he's still good enough to make his line mates better. Mm-hmm. And there's no really no one else on the Sharks that you can say that about, I think, at this point, with yeah. Eric gone and Timo Meyer gone and even Logan Couture out, right? So right now, Thomas Hurdle is the only guy, I would say, on the Sharks that legitimately is making his line mates better and has a history of it. And uh, he, I think, is helping with that with Eklund. We're going to dig into that a little bit more, but I don't think it's any coincidence that Eklund looks like he's taking another step next to uh, next to Hurdle. And that's, uh, that's great to see. Uh, of course, the problem is that that leaves uh, one line... Uh, working for the sharks and that appears to be the case the last even the last three games even in the wins um yep. so we're hoping that uh Grandlin can find his game and we've seen flashes here and there was of course not very good against vegas but uh we see flashes of it and so hopefully you can find it because the sharks definitely need it because there is no real uh timeline for uh Couture's return yeah the um i i enjoy that now it was for like the first two weeks of the season the fourth line was probably the best line for the sharks and now never it's like <laughs> never a good thing now it's like our first line is our best line which right improvements um not that they're world beaters or are gonna you know match up amazingly against every other team's top line but seeing the the cohesion of Eklund, Zetterlin and, and Hurdle um it works the the line works um Eklund's really good at entering the zone Zetterlin's obviously a good finisher he also can retrieve pucks on the wall um Hurdle's kind of like that glue guy in the middle that just kind of controls the ice and, and is you know defensively responsible and he him, as well can kind of he's just so versatile so he can be a shooting option passing option he's just it, it works as a line together and I think that's a um a good thing and I'm pretty sure they're going to hang on to it until it doesn't work anymore yeah <laughs> probably um I think another guy that um, stood out in the games was Duclair. I think Duclair had a good game, sure. um, a couple of good games there. And he's kind of like the guy that on that second line is going to have to continue to produce, even though he's been out with an illness this past couple of games. Or he's going to be out tonight. He was out on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's on Granlund so, too, though, because I think Granlund's Granlund. got more on him. And I, I know that uh, it hasn't looked great so far, but mm-hmm. past, again, we're going on past track record. Um, Granlin should should be in there. Um, his his yeah. best his best years aren't as far away as say Mike Hoffman's. Who, again, it's not yeah not, look- not, not in a conversation right now. Yeah, unfortunately, he's not looking not looking great. That. Nope. <laughs> and I don't think that Granlin's looked particularly bad either. Sometimes he does. Um, yeah. But he's been uh, good too. I mean, every for every bad play that that you mentioned, granted, like yesterday, like uh, against Vegas and mm-hmm. the, the the turnover that made it five to zero, he made good plays against Vegas too. Uh, but you know, he made that great pass to Cunin that uh, Cunin wasn't able to to finish. Uh, but once again, though, um, yeah, there's got to be, of course, more of the good than the bad. It can't be a one for one thing. Yeah, uh, Cunin is our our modern day Noah Gregor, so it's, a, <laughs> it's just not basically the same 
<laughs> it feels like maybe a little bit more hitty than Noah Gregor was, but way more hitty, better on the yeah. kills. So he's he's got value, but um definitely mm-hmm. though um yeah looking just looking at the the, the line yeah the finishing that, that uh yeah that's that 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 one goal in fourteen games uh you 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 probably want that to be more with the number of number of games he's played. And I'm just looking at uh I'm just looking at I mean I I I keep my I try to avert my eyes from sort of the the, the sharks uh, their stats this year because they're so ugly in some ways <laughs> and holy shit Marifaro is a minus eight. 18 and yeah has a minus 16 those are the worst Oof. among their positions and i don't think i don't think marifaro has been minus 18 bad this year uh um, <laughs> i don't so think that's so, what i i was thinking i was looking at his minus i think he was minus like 30 33 last year and i was like he's yeah. gonna break 40 this year probably in minus. oh like, i mean he's he might break i mean he break 15 <laughs> he's breaking he's making minus 100 uh, at this at this rate <laughs> yeah i don't know um and I, but that is actually kind of shocking shocking because i don't think zadina's out there all the time so like ferrara's out there on every single you right know, every single kind of against... makes some sense you know and then ferrara's matched up against top lines kind of uh, scared about that zadina yeah. again uh again um we we've talked about it extensively so i don't i don't want to uh yeah. dig back on it but and he did score the the, the game winner uh, yeah. against uh, Edmonton so yeah uh, good on him hopefully that kind of lifts uh, a weight off his shoulders but I think all the tools are there but again the uh just he needs to if he's not scoring he needs to be happy to play that B game and happy to do that uh and and fully focused on that and when he does that then the A game and offense will come uh sure. I think again Eklund is a great example of this uh, even though Eklund's a couple of years younger of a guy that uh, if the offense isn't there, you still see him doing the B game. There's no, there's doesn't seem to be any kind of issue with that. You know, yep. uh, doing his best to, to cover the right man, that sort of thing. Uh, Zadina's all over the place still, and so hopefully, uh, again, the talent is there though. I, I, I do, I, I do uh, fully think that about Zadina, and so, uh, mm-hmm. so hopefully that turns around. Yeah. Um. So. Besides the or what kind of like preceded the wins was was a Mike Greer um, uh, tongue lashing probably we don't yeah, actually know the details of what what was oh, said in the okay, locker room. Okay, can but, we pour one out though for the before we get to Mike Greer for sure. the Jacob McDonald hype train? No, the right Jacob after McDonald. right after two points after a two point game uh, where he looked like the most valid uh, one of the few Sharks players that showed up in the <laughs> Pittsburgh game, and he he's felt with the exact same injury. So I feel I feel bad for him because he was ready. I mean, I think that the Sharks were were about to make. We'll mention the Kalen Asin trade in a little bit, but I yep. think the Sharks were about to make that trade. But still, um, McDonald was probably in line to be at least the PP two quarterback after that game, yeah. and boom. Uh, so Jacob McDonald all-star hype point point per game player right now point per so. game jacob mcdonald hype train <laughs> ah, no it'll, it'll be fine he's, let, he's let, done yeah. he'll come back no. <laughs> let, let's, get this train, let's get this train back on the track so you mentioned sure. the mike Greer thing we do know actually some of what 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 he said you can actually sure. uh we can actually see the entire interview that we had with mike it was behind closed doors um yep. in in the sharks uh, conference room 45 minutes i put the whole thing on san jose hockey now so behind the, the paywall of course so uh give you a reason to subscribe but uh, a couple of things that mike did say that he did mention in 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 that meeting is the first one about or one of the, the big things he mentioned uh that was interesting was that mike himself played on a team that at least in record was not dissimilar to the sharks 2003 capitals um mm-hmm. of course uh, that capitals team was supposed to be good uh, they had yager they had made it to the playoffs the year before but they just started off slow and and just kind of kind of snowballed and of course at the end that's the pick that uh that ended up being the pick that 
draft that that I got uh, Ovechkin. So it all worked out uh, wonderfully for the Caps. But anyway, though, before that point, though, during that season, though, uh, they get off to a slow start. Um, Bruce Cassidy, I think, uh, was fired. And Mike was talking about a certain point where where he just was feeling sorry for himself. Like, just mm. he was 28 the prime of his career still he had been on, on on pretty good teams with the capitals um the oilers were playoff teams at least and he, he just was sort of looking like a dead end place for him at just a place to kind of play out the string and the new coach there glenn hanlon told mike um stop feeling sorry for yourself mm-hmm. no one no one's gonna feel bad for you right now you're just easy pickings kind of and also you know control what you can control out there just what can you control? Show up for practice, have a smile in games, play your hardest. That's all you can control. Right. And Mike mentioned that him and Jeff Halpern in particular last uh, that year kind of, kind of took that message in, in stride and they were able to, uh, they were able to kind of finish the season at, uh, um, just uh, 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 on a on a high note with their careers, at least. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Mike uh, got traded to Buffalo that year. He worked mm-hmm. his way out of out of a bad situation in Washington, and that was Buffalo. That was the Sabers around the time that they were making the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals. So those are the Ryan Miller. We talked to Ryan Miller, of course, uh, a couple weeks ago. So uh, the the Ryan Miller uh, years in uh, yeah. a, with the Sabers, and so um, so he did say that he told that to the guys that no one is feeling sorry for you. Like uh, uh, you you want to you want to be in a better situation be it with the sharks or in a, yep. a different organization you've got to pick yourself up because by the trade i mean he didn't say this but if by the trade deadline let me let's talk about before the mike career meeting by the trade deadline if you're anthony duclair and you have nine goals or something like that the trade deadline if you're mike hoffman you have two goals uh you have kevin lebank you have you know, right now, Kevin LeBanc has two assists in 10 games, so you prorate that. If you're Mikhail Grant, I mean, just down the line, right? No one's yep. going to want you. you you're you're going to be, you, you know, you're going to you're going to be stuck in in San Jose. So mm-hmm. if you if you want out, uh, then you've got to show a, a way better form. And not even just even like if you want for out the season for right. next year, next like they're UFAs, too. they right. got to get signed. So right. like their their last, you know for in the NHL is them doing nothing. So no team is going to want them beyond like a PTO or something. You want out or you want to stay in San Jose. It's still the same. Pick yourself up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you got 70 games and if you're going to dog it for 70 games. You're no one will want you. You'll be lucky to get a PTO if you dog it for the mm-hmm. next 70 games. And so that was, that was part of the message. Also too, uh, he mentioned, he mentioned this to us that uh, I asked him like, what are the things that you're judging Quinn, David Quinn and the coaching staff for the rest of the season? Because look, Obviously, the Sharks, even the beginning of the season, was a lot of people said this. The Sharks were not designed to make the playoffs. We all know this, right? But the Sharks mm-hmm. also weren't designed, and we mentioned this too, to be the 1974-75 Capitals. <laughs> That's a yeah, 21-point yeah. team, I think. Uh, goal differential of minus 265. It's just unacceptable just how they were losing, right? And so he says the three things that he's looking for from the Sharks, I think these are three things to talk about by the end of the season, to see if David uh, and his coaching staff can get this team back on these tracks, at least. And it's not a high bar but it's just the reality of the situation uh so the three things uh push back compete uh which yeah. we did see in the in the in the philadelphia and edmonton wins even if the shot uh, counter was lopsided uh but also to a uh, structure uh the team um just kind of adhering to what the coaches want uh defensively and not bleeding sort of the ugly chances that they were bleeding against pittsburgh and vancouver and i would say even against Van- uh, vegas in that 5-0 loss they managed to 
to do that, uh, to to not humiliate and embarrass themselves at least. And again, yeah. it's a low bar, but that is where we're at. And so if 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 David Quinn can get this group of sort of I use this word actually in, in, in that in, in, in that chat with Mike. Um, it's not the nicest word, but it's sort of the reality of it's uh, this team of sharks is a weird blend of some holdover veterans like Hurdle, Kator, and Vlasic. A lot of young players, obviously, like Eklund and Zetterlin and Zadina. And a lot of kind of mercenaries, guys that are here. Sure. We don't know how long they'll be here. Um, Duclair and... Granlin and Ruda and even guys that are going to be UFAs like Barabanov, right? They, if, if you're, if, if you're being honest with yourself, they're, they're looking ahead, of course, like what's going to happen. Am I going to stay here? Uh, mm. Do I want to keep losing, but make my money and, and put up points or do I want to try to go somewhere and win? Um, so all, all that, right. Uh, LeBanc obviously is another guy in, 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 in that sort of grouping too. So it's a very weird mix of, uh, players and obviously everything that could have happened except for the goaltending uh, um, happened, uh, blew up in the first um, 11 games of the season. And uh, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see if, if, if Quinn can get everybody at least pulling at the same rope and there's, they're going to, they're going to get shit kicked a few times for the rest of the season. There's no doubt about that, yeah. but it can't happen like it did where it was two games in a row and, you're setting, you know, you're setting all kinds of marks, historical marks. You know, the first time since 1965, that team has given up 10 or more goals in back-to-back -back games. I mean, look, teams got through the whole 80s. Wayne Gretzky put up 215 points <laughs> and no one, and no one happen. did that in that era. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so well. anyway, so that's, that's going to be the sort of uh, the uh, barometer, uh, three things that I think uh, Mike is, is going to look at. And if, if Quinn can, can, can get there, then, th then he's done actually a pretty good coaching job. He's again, this is a, a weird mix of players. Yeah. And to be honest, this is, this is kind of what I wanted um, from, from Greer after what happened. I wanted some accountability mm -hmm. and yeah. it seemed like I didn't want this to just be like swept under the rug and just being like, okay, well, like we'll move on, but maybe we'll address it a little bit. I wanted like to Greer to do what he did, which is, you know, find some accountability or, or take some accountability right. for this and try and move forward. And he it's also not mentioned okay. like, it's not acceptable. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. This is, this is not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's tanking and then there's like this, which is like, yeah, what is different. this anyway? <laughs> yeah. So I, I like the accountability that made me happy. Um, and, uh, beyond that, I also liked that he was mentioning that there were some things going on that, you know, he said wouldn't fly in the locker room and, and, mm. and basically some guys like feeling sorry for themselves or or who knows what the things were that they were doing. But right. Um, things that he didn't find acceptable. So good for Greer. I think that was a very good general manager move for him. It was it's also probably I mean, it's the first time he's had to do something like that, too. So yeah, that's interesting. I asked him. I was curious about that. And he said he didn't do it last year, not in this kind of team meeting kind of form um he said that uh and i think Lowen couture told quindis too that uh doug used to do it about once or twice a year and i think those are kind of famous actually a couple of those uh those those meetings uh famously doug did it last time the sharks had a good team uh, i think doug did it after uh, uh early season ottawa lost um, when they were in ottawa or maybe it was montreal and got the sharks going uh, from not saying it was directly all Doug, but got the sharks going from that point of the of the of the season, early November, because the first Carlson year they 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 struggled. Uh, I just want to add a one one point uh, because I may not be able to make this this joke later on, uh, but I made this 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 joke uh, before the, uh, the the wins that um, it's good to see that the sharks uh, uh, 
didn't let uh, the Oilers win, didn't let the Flyers win. I mean, Jay Woodcroft just got fired, even though the Oilers mm-hmm. beat uh, beat Seattle. Because uh, I was uh, I was about ready to start writing stories, calling the tank the Shark Tank, not the tank of the losing, but the tank, the arena, uh, the tonic. <laughs> the because tonic. The tonic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, uh, you have to explain it. <laughs> oh, that joke didn't hit, huh? Good thing I, no. I didn't get to use it. You mean it. like uh, poison? Too much to explain. No, the tonic as in uh, for, for, for struggling teams that this this is the tonic oh, for them. Oh, yeah, instead okay, of the tank, okay. it's the tonic. Right. So. Right. Uh, you know what? All, uh, all, I don't... all those years of creative writing background came to this and you didn't get it. Huh. I think if you had like a, if you written it, wrote it out, I think it would do a little bit better. Yeah, than, T-O-N-I-C-T-A-N-K. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> you know what, Chang? I prefer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's no longer the the tonic for other teams. You know, this is Hopefully a dangerous not. place to play. <laughs> well, I don't know. I want to go that far, but <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but uh, so then after the two wins, we did get, like we've mentioned briefly, a five to zero loss against Vegas. But it did feel like for portions of that game, they were more competitive and more towards the um, winning hockey than they were before. And 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 I think Eklund has, has continued his. Um, good play even though he didn't put up a point or anything like that despite points in back-to-back games so um you know vegas is a good team vegas like beat colorado seven nothing earlier this year and they're on top of the nhl right now so and it was the second of a back-to-back too so i I think there's there are some things that i I, i'm not those are games that are going to happen uh you know that game only becomes a problem if if Kakanen gets run again and no one does anything, or yeah. we saw Zetterlin get run right and no one does anything, but is yep. his buddy, uh, he and uh, Eklund are definitely uh, uh, fast friends in in, in the room, um, mm-hmm. and so Eklund was right in there. You, you love you love to see that, and so um, you just want the team to be engaged really for the whole game. At this, you know, that's that's kind of what you, all you're asking that that everybody's engaged, everybody's pulling on the same rope, and yep. that they're not disengaged like they like they were after Kakanen got hit uh because regardless of what uh Greer that's something else that Greer talked about he didn't think too much of that but um and I I do believe that the Sharks didn't see it and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that even though the optics were really bad on Kakanen getting hit by Kuzmenko that only connects yep. around that optics were really bad but I I I I believe that Sharks didn't really see it and also too the play itself was a hockey play like he was trying to score and then he hits him by accident. Like there's no, there's no reason to, to, to jump Kuzmenko for that. Kuzmenko was just doing his job, which is scoring goals. A little is a bit different than, uh, than uh, Forsberg trying to score a goal, but leaping on, on, yeah. on, 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 on a flat on the ground blockwood. So that's, it, those are kind of different scenarios there, but, but yeah. um, definitely though, it still speaks to a team that was kind of disengaged. You know, they, they, make the joke uh the controller off joke about defense right the controller was off not only defensively uh but just sort of with with mental engagement that no one was really looking when when that happened to 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 Kakinen. um mm-hmm. and so or even if someone kind of saw for a second it was like uh he's fine and it skates off <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, he'll be great yeah yeah he'll be fine uh so that mm-hmm. kind of that that's that's what you do not that that's part of what's not acceptable and so we didn't quite see that in the Vegas game. So expect more losses like this where a good team just sure. simply churns the Sharks, uh, uh, grinds the Sharks down. Uh, but as long as the Sharks are paying attention, <laughs> then that's that's sort of the bar. Uh, paying attention for, for all 60 minutes, that's sort of the bar. And that's, paying attention. 
we're in a we're in a rebuild so this is the part where, <laughs> where i will say that that mm-hmm. this team wasn't expect not a lot was expected of this team uh and yeah. so there is a standard it's not high and we talk about what that standard is but um yeah part of the, the standard is is being engaged for for 60 minutes at a time no matter yeah. the score so and to be honest it was kind of the perfect week and that's the reason why i'm wearing this jersey because they beat the oilers which is hilarious they uh got out of the slump by beating uh the flyers not that i have anything against the flyers um they addressed the accountability um and then they lost uh to the team they should have lost to which helps the tank they still have the worst record yeah (laughs) exactly they have the worst record now they're not tied with you know with uh, edmonton anymore edmonton won last night as well so um it was perfect week and then they capped it off by a um a trade for a um, offensive defenseman, which was actually one of our subscriber mailbag questions was who's a young offensive defenseman that's available. Turns out the answer was Kalen Addison. We just didn't see it. <laughs> um, and, and here it is. So the Sharks traded for Kalen Addison. They traded a fifth round pick in 2026, mm-hmm. just three drafts away. And yep. Adam Raska, um, basically for an AHL contract kind of swap thing. Um, so I, um, I like the idea and I like what Greer is doing about the defense. I I still have some reservations about how good Kalen Addison can really be on this team, but I think it was the right idea and the right move for the time with how sure. badly the Sharks struggling and the McDonald hype train was down. So <laughs> that was clearly the main reason why the train was, was made. Oh <laughs> yeah. We lost our number the, one. The McDonald train is down. Yeah. <laughs> we lost our number one D man. Our, our 12 minutes slash forward slash defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> our number one offensive team, man. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I think I want to close with one last thought about tank. Uh, what I was trying to think, I've been thinking about it the last ten minutes. Like what, like yeah, tanking is okay, but embarrassing is not. Humiliating is not. So sure. I think that's the that's that's the line that that fans have to remember. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. on to uh, the Addison uh, trade. Um, uh, I, I think that of course, like it's it looks like a big bargain for the Sharks. I mean, guy was scored thirty eight points in ninety two games in the NHL with the Wild before the trade, but you have to think about why a guy that's 23 and that productive is that cheap. And it's because you guessed it, the defense is not very good. And we've seen that in the last couple of games. And so it's going to be a a work in progress with Kalen, but, uh, Definitely the puck moving is there, though, too. Though. I mean, just when mm-hmm. we talk about the Vegas game, we saw kind of the best and worst of him where uh, he was making subtle passes, long passes, tape to tape, sure. every pass, which you've seen very rarely with the Sharks uh, this year from their defensemen. Um, but, of course, uh, we had that shorthanded uh, a goal that was given up, and that was Addison uh, trying to trying to, trying to uh, uh, kill the play, Eichel along the along the wall, and Eichel just rumbled through him like, yeah. uh, like, like, like a gnat. And then... Uh, uh, Eichel hits Carlson, uh, William Carlson, uh, for the for for the easy goal. Um, so we saw kind of the best and worst. It's going to be a work in progress. Um, but anyway, though, the main takeaway from it though is that um, that for me at least is. Oh, and actually, before I get to that main takeaway, one more thought about uh, sort of how this is the right move. It's also the right price, though, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's clear that Greer didn't want to overinvest in. We talked about Nils Lundqvist, uh, I think, the last podcast, right? And he went yeah. for it first. Um, and that's 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 too rich a price. And the second might be too rich a price. Maybe we, people mentioned Boquist, right? Boquist, of course, was a lottery pick years ago. And so I'm not sure if Columbus is going to trade him for fifth-round pick. Uh, they might trade him for a second-round pick, but uh, if you're the Sharks, mm-hmm. you may not want 
to give something that that rich for a guy that you're not so sure about and you don't know if he's going to be part of the the actual core of the team but a guy like addison uh clear talent clear flaws uh young great it's a great gamble uh, there's there's yep. there's no there's no there's no doubt about it. it's exactly what the sharks need um my takeaway main takeaway from all this is look at the draft where uh kaylin Asson was drafted it was the 2018 draft and uh, who did a sharks draft at 21 and 2018 draft it was ryan merkley and so i can't help but think uh in, in all this that just how mm-hmm. much kind of uh, uh ryan merkley sort of fumbled the bag there in terms of <laughs> Honestly, I mean, mm. uh, he he was supposed to be uh, the Sharks' power play quarterback of the future. There was every reason for him to be uh, the Sharks' PP2 last year after Carlson. Um, and that's yep. how poor he was that 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 uh, he he couldn't he couldn't do that. He didn't even go. Uh, he didn't even make final cuts. He didn't make it to the final roster cut down uh, or even to the final week of it, really. Um, and then, of course, even even this year, too, if you, if you look at how desperately the Sharks needed somebody who can move the puck and just how just how unfortunate that 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 pick was i mean obviously we still understand why the sharks made it and how much talent uh puck moving talent that that merkley merkley has um but obviously merkley just couldn't fill out the other parts of his game uh, and the puck moving wasn't enough it just was you know spectacular pass here and there mixed mixed in with a a head scratching turnover and so anyway you have uh, a kaylin addison who went 53rd in 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 that draft uh, coming in essentially really taking uh taking ryan merkley's uh a spot uh yeah. what should have been ryan merkley's spot and so anyway that's i just can't help 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 but think about that because just think about just how big a, sh- a hole the sharks had at pp2 last year that matt benning sure. was playing it and how big a hole the sharks had on pp1 this year that kyle burrows and mikhail granlin and mike hoffman were were playing it and yeah. that should have been ryan merkley uh in in both years and again it's not that's not that i mean the sharks made a bad pick but that's ultimately uh, just uh, on on Merkley and bad circumstances. He just didn't develop. His development, yeah. yeah. And I think the it kind of just goes to show the the difference between like passable, passable defense and right. like right. not acceptable defense. Because like the things like if Merkley was on this team right now, the the Sharks would be losing ten to two every single game, no matter. What. <laughs> I don't know about and, that, but well, I'm not like that bad, but, but like things that he wouldn't even be able to stay long enough to be on power play too, because they'd bench him just for the the horrific things that would happen to the defensive yeah. zone, yeah. and that's the truth. And Kalen Addison, I think so far what I've watched of him, he has uh, his physicality is. is very poor um mm-hmm. like he he's really bad on the boards he got you know trucked by Eichel, all that kind of Eichel, stuff yeah. but he he doesn't have that the physical edge that he really needs to be a higher than a probably a third pairing defenseman with power play minutes but you know he is passable defensively whereas like merkley also didn't have the a good physical frame or, or effort but he was so out of position almost always he had no idea how to defend on two-on-ones he just like never developed that area of his game to the point where Addison is at least passable right now, even if he is bad. I don't know if he's passable, but uh, I think it's more a difference between bad Forgivable, and, maybe and is awful. the right word? Yeah, forgivable, maybe. Yeah. There's the right word, We always yeah. talk about the balance of good plays versus yeah. bad plays, and Addison, mm-hmm. I think uh, you're hoping that, there, there's reason to hope that there'll be more good and bad from exactly. Dylan Addison. And he uh, does have the yeah. ability to skate the puck out of the zone, which is like something that the 
the Sharks defense is not very good. <laughs> right, and Merkley, Merkley's feet never quite developed yeah. uh, in anywhere close to his vision and his sure. actual passing, which is incredible. His passing itself incredible. was, was yeah. incredible, but uh, just the other stuff didn't didn't get even close, didn't get passable uh, yeah. uh, uh, next next to that skill. Did you happen to know that Merkley is second in the KHL in points by a defenseman yes. right now? Yes, I um, did. Well, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> so Mike Hoffman can are. join him there next year. So Exactly. Um, anyway. We're just piling, you know, more dirt on the grave of Ryan Murphy. I just couldn't help but think of it, though. You know, yeah, you're you're right. We are kind of piling on dirt, uh, dirt, mm-hmm. and it's a, a little, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Merkley's long gone from the Sharks, and so it's it's uh, it, it kind of is a is a little bit of a low blow to keep doing it. Sure. But again, though, couldn't help but notice the draft here for Addison, uh, same age, and really the exact same role. And um, if if uh, if Merkley was even uh, up to that level, he'd still be here, you know, up to the Addison level of not very good defense, but uh, does enough offensively and tries enough defensively that, well, you know, he he can be played uh, uh, most of the time by a playoff team like like the wild that they'll 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 take it. They'll deal with it. Um, And so, yeah, it just uh, sort of just the the, the echoes of that draft pick just uh, are, are are here with Addison yeah. and of course the, the the Sharks inability to 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 find a a sort of a a a higher end PP2 quarterback last year and a higher end PP1 quarterback this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sharks two things about the the drafting. Number one, let's pour one out for Adam Raska for leaving the Sharks. Um he was a seventh round pick in 2020, so not a lot was ever really expected of Raska. He was he the was first fun. from that draft to debut in the NHL and he was, he was. fun. But I think he, he was plateaued fun. too. Uh mm-hmm. he looked like a guy just sort of his style, his speed, his size that was and his attitude, great attitude was gonna be uh, a fixture on your fourth line. But you still have to be better with your puck play. You still have to be better mm-hmm. with uh, just knowing what 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 you have to do defensively, and those things uh, seem to sort of plateau. Yeah, um, and then uh, beyond that, it just is is crazy to me that the Sharks have no players on the Sharks or Barracuda roster from 2015, 2016, 2017, 18, or 19 in their draft class, which is insanity to me. Yeah, <laughs> basically yeah. that whole thing is gone, and what we got left now is 2020. Um, through 2023 which you know there's some great picks in there and there's going to get some good guys to develop it's just crazy that there's there's nobody left they well they have ferraro so let's not forget uh ferraro and they should have had they could have oh, had norris they could have had norris too forgot so, about ferraro um, yeah um but they have ferraro and then 2014 they have lebanc still i think those are the last two on those right but yeah i mean i i think when we look at sort of the decline of the sharks it is underrated just that um which led to, which led to, of course, uh, uh, Doug Wilson Jr. taking over in 2017 draft, and of course, start off great for him in terms of the actual players sure. and Norris and Ferraro. But those guys are gone, and um, let's not forget too. Obviously, 2015 was Timo Meyer, and he's yeah. gone, but obviously, he's he's a terrific player, terrific pick. Um, yeah, but yeah. then we look at 2018, 19, and yes, the Sharks drafted late, but there is nothing from there, and that is that is tough. That's a that's that's a tough look. Um, yeah, um, I just wrote a story today, actually, and it's something that that, that we talked about uh, the mm-hmm. Anaheim Ducks. Uh, just to close close off uh, my my thoughts uh, uh, on all this, um, 
2019, I think you look at the the Ducks, and that's the first year that they were out of the playoffs. The Sharks, of course, were in the Western Conference Finals, and sure. they had gone all in with Eric Carlson too. Uh, the ninth overall pick, uh, the Ducks draft Trevor Zegras. Uh, the 48th pick, which Sharks didn't have first round pick that year, because I think it went in the in the Vander Kane trade. So speaking of going in all in too, mm-hmm. uh, the Sharks' first pick uh, in the 2019 draft was number 48, Artemi Kanyazev, uh, and so hasn't that he hasn't quite popped and if we go to 2020 obviously they're still paying for the carlson trade uh this and of course the number three overall pick that goes to ottawa not the sharks true yeah and um there's still obviously the players from 2020 that are that are developing um but it's not like Bordelo and Gushin and and Ozzy are up and with the Sharks right now contributing. So that's the other right, thing. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think uh, right now, I think of course there's a lot of questions about Bordelo, and uh, so it's gonna. It's probably between Gushin and Bordelo to make a a, a larger NHL impact, but it's sure. not necessarily looking like 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 everyone you know, like that's gonna be quite the quite the draft that it was sort of promised promised to be uh, uh when the when the sharks uh you know everyone was really high on wise blot bordalo robbins goosh even cole in the fourth round sure and um it hasn't and really, rasco is gone and rasco was was was, uh, was made an early angel debut and so that hasn't quite uh quite mm-hmm. panned out and in 2020 uh the sharks of course don't get a draft uh um uh, uh, Stutzla or anybody that are number three, and the Ducks get uh, Drysdale number six. Um, and so again, so it's it just uh, the, of course they're playing the Ducks today. So of course, reminded yeah. of, of of all that. Yeah, and I think we're that kind of just shows that we're like two years behind where their rebuild is. I basically, think. yeah, basically. Yeah. Twenty twenty one is like our first, like with Eklund is our first like real blue chip prospect out yeah. of this whole thing in a long then, time. Yeah, in a long time. And then 2022, you get some good depth there. And 2023, another. And they didn't chip. fully commit enough, too, of course, because they mm-hmm. they kept on hurdle when there yeah. was not really a, a good reason competitively to keep to 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 keep him, just because the team wasn't yeah. close uh, at all. Yeah. So anyway, now I'm sad again. <laughs> I was happy. <laughs> Take off that episode. jersey. Take off that jersey. <laughs> Taking the jersey. Yeah. No, I'm happy. Throw it on ice. Throw it on ice. Sharks are they're they're making their way. It's just going to be a, a rough couple of years. So anyway. Um, anything else to say about the Addison trade? I think it's again, like, a, uh, I think it's a good trade in terms of what the sharks need. Um, we'll see how well Addison can adapt in, in this kind of structure. Cause he's going to get, um, ran over defensively sometimes. So hopefully he's, he's good on the power play to, to kind of balance all that out. Right. Right. And that's been a little bit rough. The last couple of games with him, that, that thing has really, uh, uh, not too much has happened that, that, uh, uh, exciting, uh, on, on that first uh, unit, I think overall, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a couple games, so we'll 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 give he has and he, he holds, has a season. He holds the blue line well. He passes he well on the power he play. Passes well, he does. Yeah. So I think he will. Points will come from him. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what they need. They don't have anyone else who can really even. Do they literally have nobody two else. Things. Yeah. So <laughs> so. We've seen the first uh, twelve games of the season. So so yeah, yeah, it definitely is is a a clean slate, a bank, a blank. Mm-hmm. A blank, not a LeBank, a blank canvas uh, for uh, for Addison, and uh, hopefully he is a lot better than Ryan Merkley. Yeah, a LeBlanc canvas. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, let's get to the uh, the Craig Morgan uh, interview, um, and uh, we will see you guys next week. And and again, if Eklund has a hat trick tonight, we'll we'll put a little snippet in here of our faces <laughs> just doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will screenshot myself buying an Eklund jersey to wear it for next week. That's the answer. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you guys have a good week.
Bye. I thought I had it bad covering a 0-10-1 start with the Sharks, but Craig Morgan, who's jumping on right here, he's covered two 11-game winless streaks to start the season with the Coyotes. Craig, now with PHNX Sports, has covered the Coyotes since 2000, and he's going to tell us what it's like to cover two starts from hell and how the Coyotes got through the season. Welcome, Craig. Thanks for having me, guys, and, and that history of covering – Tough seasons goes back a bit farther. Obviously, the Coyotes have not had a lot of success in their history. But yeah, the last two seasons, they they stripped it bare. That was the plan to acquire draft assets and try and build this from the ground up. So yeah, it was we had we actually had a segment on our podcast called Pack Therapy, where fans could come <laughs> in. We have a live show, post-game show, and we could just talk through the issues and, and try and talk them down from, you know wherever they were, they were standing at the moment because it was tough. It was tough hockey to walk, watch for two seasons. But having said that, I always felt that's what the Coyotes needed to do all those years when they would say they were going into a rebuild and they would uh, just change course midstream, mm. and, you know, bring in guys like Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel sure. when they were ready to compete. And it just blew up the plan and they were never able to build sustainable success. That is the buzz phrase around here with Bill Armstrong as the general manager, building sustainable success. So far, they have been able to stay on that plan that past regimes always abandoned. Right, right. Well, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how these two sort of slow starts are connected, 2017-18 and 2021-22. And one uh, kind of amazing thing about it is that the Sharks are the fourth team to to start the season with uh, losing the first eleven games. Um, the Coyotes are have two of those uh, spots, and then before that's the 1943-44 Rangers. And so, actually, let me just ask you, just to start off um, with both of these uh, Coyotes teams, was there sort of that anticipation for that twelfth game that okay, this could be this could be the record breaker right here? <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, what's going back to that season? That was Rick Tockett's first season as coach. Mm -hmm. And they were threatening to go 0 for October. We were in Philadelphia for the last game. And the Coyotes had a two-goal lead late in that game. And I, I was looking at then Coyotes uh, website reporter, Dave Vest. We had come down to the, to the uh, media room because we knew we had to make our way to the, the dressing room. Mm. They gave up two goals in the final two minutes of regulation. And we're looking at each other like, is this really going to happen? <laughs> they ended up winning the game in extra time. So they, they didn't go 0 for October, but it was... It was absolutely agonizing watching that. Um, things haven't gotten a lot better around here, guys. As you know, there was the playoff bubble uh, appearance, um, if you count that as a postseason appearance. But yeah, it's it's. I, I don't know what your experience has been trying to cover this start, trying to. I, I don't even know what you're focusing on if you're trying to put a, a positive spin on it for the future. Really, at that point, the Coyotes were trying to. They thought they had brought in pieces, and they thought they were going to be better than that. So it was. It was shocking to the system to watch that start. Yeah, let's start there. Uh, what did people think of this team, the 2017-18 team that started off 0-10-1, but what did people think of this team to start the season? Well, I, I don't know that anyone thought that they were a playoff team, but I think they had a little higher hopes that they could be competitive. Rick Dockett mm -hmm. was just coming in. He was much type, much hype. They had, they had at least some veteran players around where they thought they could be competitive on the ice. And clearly that start just just buried them. There was no chance that they were coming back from that. They were literally eliminated from playoff contention in the first month of the season. 
Yeah, yeah. Then they just acquire uh, Derek uh, Derek Stepan, right? Hadn't been there for too long, right? Um, I saw Golagoski. He scored the I don't know what you would call it the the golden goal or the 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 trash the <laughs> the silver trash can goal against the Flyers to to prevent the twelve game uh, winning yeah. streak. Uh, obviously, Ekman Larson was supposedly in his prime and thought to be uh, Norris caliber defenseman back then, and so there were a lot of sort of uh, names on this team. Yeah, Auntie Ranta, Nicholas Yalmerson, they had brought in a bunch of players, so they thought they were going to be competitive. Ranta couldn't stay healthy. That was one of the major issues. He was hurt all the time. So that really hurt them in goal. But beyond that, they just the parts just didn't mesh very quickly on that season's team. What was the the low of that losing streak? It looked like there was a lot of close ones to start the season. I see a lot of one goal, two goal games here. Unlike the Sharks, who of course uh, lost uh, two games, two straight games in a row by a, a deficit of seventeen goals. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that there was a specific low point in that streak, but when you when you when you tie the record, I guess that's that's not a good feeling, especially for a first year coach. Rick Tock is an incredibly competitive person. And that was just eating away at him. He 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 doesn't deal well. I, I will say this. I know Rick really well. He doesn't deal well with losing. And sometimes he takes it out on other people. And mm -hmm. you definitely saw a little bit of that in the first month of the season. <laughs> Any stories you, you can share with that? Just uh, uh, because we, we've, I, I've had that recently. I, I had to ask uh, David Quinn about his job security. And I got snapped on a little. And David, uh, I'm sure you know, is as chill yeah. and as uh as as good a coach that that you, you can have to deal with but you know after uh, uh almost 100 games and just 22 wins uh as a sharks coach eventually um it got to him a little too <laughs> yeah i think the the main one was that he was unhappy with oliver ekman larson he really expected rick Tockett has a specific idea in mind a, a an archetype for a leader uh, he wants a fiery guy who's going to get in and battle. That's not OEL's game at all. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but probably more of a pacifist. Um, they they just didn't mesh well at all. He wanted he wanted an elite game from OEL that OEL wasn't giving him. Oliver had really played well under Dave Tippett, who understood I I think how to maybe I hate to say it, but probably to coddle him a little bit mm -hmm. to make him feel important. Um, and he got the best out of OEL. Rick and OEL never meshed on that level. So they never had success together. And of course, we saw what happened to Oliver Ekman Larson's career from the time Tockett came in. He just he, he fell off a cliff from becoming being one of the elite defensemen of the NHL to just being a guy that they couldn't wait to get out of here because of that bloated contract that John Chaika signed him to. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, um, relations with the Sharks that are not are sort of uh, similarities there, obviously, with the Sharks, with uh, their bloated contracts and uh, Mark Edward Vlasic right now. And it was Eric Carlson uh, uh, the year uh, the year before. Uh, but one thing you, you yes, notice about this. Uh, oh, yes, Eric Carlson, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, I would say that um, that Eric was was somebody that needed um, to be. Uh, uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say coddled, but he needed to be treated in a different way too. And David Quinn did treat him in that in in that way and got 101 points out of him. And so wanted to mm -hmm. uh, want to want to mention that because that is uh, relevant to the Eric Carlson story in San Jose. But one thing I noticed though uh, about uh, what Rick managed to do and the Coyotes uh, managed to kind of work their way out of this slump. They actually finished the season. If you 
can take out the first 11 games. They actually finished the season 500, uh, 29, 31, and 11. So what what kind of started working that you were able to at least get back to a competitive state? I just think that they 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 picked up his system. They they picked up his style of play. They were a very aggressive team on the forward check. That was one of the things. And they, they defended better. They got more stable goaltending once they got that situation solved. So there were a lot of factors that came together. I just I just think there was a feeling out period with Rick Tockett who because he was so much of a different feeling coach than what they had had with Dave Tippett. So mm-hmm. it just took took all the pieces uh, time to mesh. I don't know if that applies to the situation because I, I guess I'd ask you guys that. I mean, what's the plan for the Sharks here? The Coyotes were trying to build, still build a playoff team at that point. Right. Have, have the Sharks fully embraced the idea of a rebuild? So they, they might be going in the opposite direction is my point. Yeah, I think it was kind of a, for a few, there, few years there, it wasn't really clear. And I think now the mm-hmm. last two seasons, it's clear we're in a rebuild. It's just how much they want to mention that word. It's kind of like on the hush hush a little bit, but they are starting to say like, yes, this is a rebuild. So I think we're finally in that mode. Um, Just the first part is acceptance, as we all know. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. And I will give Bill Armstrong credit for that. He has been utterly transparent with that from day Mm. one. He has not hidden the fact that they are going to strip this down. They're going, as, as I mentioned earlier, acquire draft assets. They're going to do it the right way. And it's going to be some painful lean years. He didn't hide that from the fan base at all. Mm. So I, I give the Coyotes credit for that. At least we'll see where it goes, obviously. Yeah, this phrase was uttered by Mike Greer uh, earlier this week in uh, defense of sort of everything's going on. And they had a he had a, a team meeting with the Sharks after they started off 0-10-1. And, and he said... <clears throat> It's not about wins and losses. <laughs> so there is a mission there from, from Mike. But I think if you look at the Sharks just in general, just like Keegan mentioned, um, uh, there was a, a lack of a mission to that by the end of the Doug Wilson era. They were trying to hang on to to their guys mm-hmm. and get get what they could in terms of uh, um, wins and try to get this team back in the playoffs with some recognizable names like Brett Burns and uh, Eric Carlson, et cetera. And um, so I think maybe uh, the, 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 the Sharks in the end of the Wilson era there, 2019-20 through 2021-22, all those teams missed the playoffs. That might resemble the 2017-18 Coyotes a little bit. And now we're in the okay, we're, we are breaking it. We are breaking it down. It's not about wins and losses. And so I think the Sharks today are, are closer to the 2021, 22 Coyotes. Um, but before uh, we, we get to the 2021, 22 Coyotes though, I did want to ask you just a couple more questions about this 2017, 18 team. Uh, how, uh, um, well, first, actually, going back to how uh, Tockett and the guys managed to to get their way back to competitiveness, is there sort of one thing that that you can take from that that could apply to the Sharks, even though it's a different team? This isn't as veteran late in the Sharks group, I think, and there aren't as many expectations. But what is sort of uh, one thing that that maybe changed for Tockett and the guys um, in the in the second part of the season that maybe the Sharks can take from? Well, it was just buy-in, and, and I'm not sure if the 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 two situations are if you can compare them, because as you sure. mentioned, that Coyotes team had a lot of veterans. And I think that's what really, really helped them turn the corner. You had a bunch of good leaders in that room mm. buying into Rick Tockett's system and and convincing the younger guys that this was the way to go. And and that's how I think they turned it around again, that and and some stability and goal after a, a, a full month, et, et cetera, or, or extra of, of poor goaltending and injuries. 
So I, I don't know if the two situations mm. are all that comparable in, in, in that light. Right, right, right. No, I see that Ronta actually had an amazing season. If he was healthy, he might have won a best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he numbers, had right? terrific numbers once he was yeah. healthy. But it, yeah, it, 930 save percentage. Honestly, that was an issue with him throughout his time here. Sure. Um, they came to the point where they, they decided that he was not a goaltender who could be a number one in this league because he just didn't have the body composition to withstand the rigors of Th that many starts that that mm. sort of workload they really had to manage his workload so he's better off in a in a backup role or a 1b role and, and that's what led them eventually to go out and get Darcy Kemper who of course turned into a really good goaltender while he was here they remade him into a terrific sure. goaltender and traded him for a first round pick to Colorado they won a cup with him how was the you mentioned the the room and how good it was and this is always relevant i think in these situations um and so uh, who were sort of the, the the leaders of the room the positive forces and honestly were there any uh, negative forces kind of in the room guys that maybe you you might not want your young players around oh well, i don't know if there were any negative guys per se in that room but there were uh, like i mentioned uh, well you mentioned derek stepan he was certainly one of those guys nicholas yalmerson in terms of how you approach the NHL game. I mean, he is, he is the model. He is, everyone will tell you he is the consummate professional in his work habits. No nonsense. He's always there. He's always doing the right things on and off the ice. So he was a great example. Alex Goligoski was here. Jason Demers, former shark was here. I think he's doing some broadcast work for the sharks. This and for you guys too. <laughs> yes. For us as well. Yeah. So <laughs> they had a lot of guys like that in the room to help guide them guys who had mm. been through not just a lot of NHL games, but they had been through a lot of NHL playoff games. So they understood what it meant to succeed at the highest level of this league. And I think that really filtered down to the rest of the team. Mm. And uh, you, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jason, uh, how was he uh, in the room? And uh, just, uh, he's, it was actually one of his uh, last sort of full seasons. And I'm sure he didn't realize at the time, but, but yeah. He's a goofball. I don't know if how much you guys have talked to him, but oh yeah, a lot. He's yeah, on it's, podcast as well. it's a sense of humor, right? Yeah, he yeah. he was he was that guy in the room, constantly mm -hmm. chirping others. I remember literally, I remember doing interviews in the room, and I could not finish interviews sometimes because he was chirping the guy that I was interviewing, trying to disrupt <laughs> the interview. That was Jason Demers. It was all in good fun, and yeah, and we're lucky enough to have him on our show, so he can do it with us. Yeah, so that's a, that becomes a, a positive, right? Because in kind of times like this, uh, 0, 10, and 1, and then you're trying to work your way out of it, and you, maybe you thought you were a playoff team at, uh, during training camp, and you're, you're not going to, to, to make it. But you need somebody to keep, to keep the room light, right? Like not everybody has to be a stoic, uh, stoic leader kind of guy. No question. I mean, players need to know that it's not life and death, right? Yeah, th right. this is a bad stretch, and you're paid to win, and obviously it's awful to be in that situation, but – the sun comes up the next day. And, and I, I think they helped uh, the younger players understand that. One other guy that I should mention who I talk to all the time and is actually scouting for Calgary now is Brad Richardson. Talk mm. about non no-nonsense approach. Um, right. One of the best quotes I've ever covered. Mm -hmm. You never got you never got cliches with Brad Richardson. Mm. He always told you exactly what it was what was on his mind and he did the same thing in that room with the players. Ah, well, I, you, you probably haven't really dealt too much with uh, Nico Sturm, uh, no. but Nico actually reminds me a bit of Brad because they both uh, are Stanley Cup winners. Brad, obviously with the Kings, uh, Nico is a no nonsense, uh, does pretty much everything right on, on, on the ice is always giving it his, his all and never gives you a cliche for the answer. So you need that type in a room too, of course. Um, 
wanted to, to, to ask you also about uh, Anthony Duclair. Obviously, that's relevant to Sharks fans. And uh, Duke started the season uh, with the Coyotes, but was uh, was traded. And I, I get the sense that um, Duke was still trying to. This was this was still a rough part of his career. The Coyotes you started mm-hmm. off great for him when he joined them after the trade uh, with the with the Rangers. Uh, he scored twenty goals his first year, but then after that it was kind of kind of tough. Got sent down, um, and so it was it was a it was a tough it was a tough uh, a tough run in the end there for him. Yeah, it was. Um, there were a few issues here. Um, if if you if you get Coyotes leadership, uh, some of the players to talk about what the issues were. Some of it was work ethic. He, he was mm. not putting in the time. Um, there were also there were times where he just, he would make mind boggling decisions with the puck on the ice. He would, he would turn it over at the offensive blue line. He would try and go one-on-one with a guy when, when there's a line change and turn yeah. the puck over, you create that. So things like that, he just, he hadn't honed his hockey sense at that point is I, I guess what I would say. That was a major criticism up here through multiple coaching staffs. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just Rick Doggett. It was Dave Tibbet as well. They had issues with parts of his game that, he didn't seem committed to working on. Obviously, he, he enjoyed some success a little later on once he left here. But but those were issues with Duclair, who, you know, he could skate. He could he sure. knew he could shoot and score. And he he actually was uh, I thought he was underrated in wall battles because he had such a strong lower body. I, I doubt you guys have actually looked at Anthony Duclair's legs. I have myself. I'll admit that, but he has got, he's got a powerful <laughs> lower body. So he was very effective when he would get into those wall battles, but they just didn't see enough of those other parts. They didn't see him progressing in those areas sure. that they were really stressing. So at, at some point it just became too frustrating. And as I mentioned with Rick Tockett, he has very high expectations for players. And if he doesn't get buy-in from them very quickly, things are probably going to turn sour. He, you, you, mm-hmm. you, You've moved your way into his doghouse, and it's really hard to get out of Rick Tockett's doghouse once you're there. And uh, I think the Sharks has somebody uh, maybe a little bit like that, though there isn't really any questions about his compete, where maybe there there were with uh, Anthony Duclair back then. But I think Philip Zadina is is maybe a little bit like that, where there's a clear bundle of tools. Um, uh, there's a speed, there's a shot, uh, but doesn't all quite to come together uh, uh, every game. Um, but uh, one another uh, guy I wanted to ask you about, I think this is actually maybe the the, the most important guy of, of this year that um, has lasted with the Coyotes, and it was his very first year, first full year, was how did this season shape a Clayton Keller? Uh, he Obviously, he, his stats look good. He, he was uh, third in the Calder, but just in general, just all the losing and the Sharks fans are worried about a guy like William Eklund and, and how all this losing affects him. But how, how did a Clayton take all this? Yeah, I think he was so young that you do worry about it just becoming ingrained, it becoming a habit mm-hmm. when you lose for that long. So you, you worry about that sort of impact on a young player. But in terms of dissatisfaction, I didn't sense it at that point. He was just too young. He's trying to find his way in the mm-hmm. NHL. And, and honestly, after a really good rookie season, he fell off considerably for a, mm. for a couple of years where yeah. there were some of those same concerns about his defensive game. He just wasn't, he didn't have the details away from the puck and mm. it was frustrating both to Dave Tibbet and to Rick Tockett that he wasn't picking those mm. things up. The difference there is Tockett has always described Clayton as a, a student of the game. He, he watches so much video. In fact, he Tockett said he would bug the hell out of him because he was always calling them, calling him or asking him questions about these things that he saw. He took up a lot of Rick Tockett's time, but he was willing to work with him because he was clearly dedicated to the craft. Right. Uh, you mentioned, 
you mentioned the impact of of losing. I, I think it's important to fast forward to where they are right now this season. Right. Talking about Clayton Keller in particular, because when we got to this offseason, I'm not sure the plan was to beef up the Coyotes roster as much as they did this mm-hmm. offseason, but Clayton Keller was a big part of that. More more accurately, Clayton Keller's agent, Scott Bartlett. There comes a point where they're they're looking at the roster saying, okay, am I going to spend my entire prime of my career in a rebuild? And they they raise concerns about that. You saw Jacob Chikrin wanted out after realizing right. they were going to be in this rebuild. Well, the same possibility may have existed with Clayton Keller if mm. they didn't make a concerted effort to improve this roster this offseason. So while he was trying to adjust for those first few years of his career, he had reached a point uh, this offseason, and especially after the terrific season he had last year, where he didn't want to sit spinning the wheels in a rebuild for another couple seasons. He wanted to see the Coyotes go out and make some moves to improve the roster. So that that was his mindset this offseason. And obviously, Bill Armstrong did some of those things mm. by bringing guys like Jason Zucker, Matt Dumba, Alex Kerfoot, et cetera. And, well, and it's, Logan Cooley came on board as right. well. I mean, it speaks to uh, Keller's growth, though, that at this point that he's uh, sort of um, accrued enough uh, credit, goodwill uh, on the ice, off the ice in organization that the organization will be like, okay, you know, we will, uh, we're not just going to laugh at this. <laughs> we're not just going to let you go, uh, but uh, um, we're going to do what we what we can to kind of, uh, so so you'll stay and, and you're good enough that, that, uh, that we're going to kind of, uh, work with you here. Uh, but I guess with Clayton, though, I guess, though, that uh, maybe hit this first year that you mentioned some of these defensive habits that weren't quite there, and he was working his way through, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess you could pick up some bad habits, right? And, may, and maybe he did to some degree because the team just wasn't quite quite, quite there around him. I'm not sure if he picked up the bad habits or he simply didn't have them yet. <clears throat> I think there's a, you know, there's there's a refinement that comes along with playing the NHL game. Sure. You can get away with things at lower levels, certainly at, at BU where he was, he was getting away with that. And he, he was a one and done and came in maybe a little too soon. I mean, mm-hmm. the Coyotes have a bad history of this as well, rushing their prospects to the NHL instead of maybe giving them some time in the AHL to learn those finer points of the game. It's not an issue with Bill Armstrong. I will say that for the first time, it feels like they are committed to overbaking players mm-hmm. in the AHL. But when, when Keller arrived, you could see that the skill level was there, but, he didn't have a, a well-rounded 200-foot game at that point. It's something that he needed to learn in the NHL, which is not ideal because, sure. as we've said a million times, the NHL is not a developmental league. Hmm. Well, you mentioned, though, with Clayton's uh, career track, though, that we had that uh, a terrific first season, was third in the Calder voting, but then dropped off a bit. But now, though, he he's he's back as sort of your your star winger, your franchise player to some degree. And so what was it about Clayton that sort of allowed him to sort of survive those 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 two seat those couple seasons in between when his game dropped off? Oh, he's first of all, he's so competitive. He's one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. So that certainly helped him. And when he hears criticism, he doesn't pout. It, it, it took him a while, again, to refine the game. And I think getting that 200-foot game, he's understood that, you know, by playing better defense and 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 getting getting uh, having to defend less time, that means more time on offense, right? Mm. So it's going to give him more opportunities. But again, he was very competitive, so he worked at his craft. And that's what got him to this point, I think, is – just a dedication to his craft and actually listening, being coachable and trying to get to that next level. 
Well, for Sharks fans, then, uh, with uh, Eklund, at least uh, Eklund, they have overbaked him, and he's not as productive as a Keller yet. Hopefully, he gets there. But his defensive game is 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 pretty refined uh, for a 21-year-old. But uh, let's uh, move on to the 2021-22 uh, Coyotes here. And um, first question, uh, echoing the one from before, what did people think of this team to start the season? And I could remember because I thought that a lot of people thought that this was going to be the, the worst team of the cap era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing that a lot. And and I'll be honest, we we wondered the same thing. When we looked at that roster, we thought it was going to be an agonizing season to cover, trying to find storylines. Everything, I remember having a meeting with our staff and, and saying, okay, everything that we're going to write about this year is going to be forward-looking because there's not going to be anything on the ice worth writing about. Um, and I mean, they weren't very good. They weren't as bad as they were supposed to be because- right. Bill, Bill Armstrong's great flaw is that he brings in really high character guys. And so the team ends up meshing very well and, and overachieving the other, I don't know if it's a mistake. It might be a, a real uh, help in the uh, long run. He right. hired Andre Turigny, who is a, in my opinion, a fantastic coach. And he has managed to connect with these players on a, on a personal level that I really haven't seen. Dave Tippett was seen as a player's coach, but with Turney, it's different. I remember walking into the ice den for a, an informal uh, workout that the Coyotes skate up there on their own before the season starts, before training camp starts. And Andre was there. Clayton Keller walked in the back door as soon as he saw Andre, walks over to him and gives him a, just a giant hug. I'm like, I can't remember the last time I saw a player do that with a coach. It just speaks to this, the type of relationship that he's been able to build. And that those two things that I just mentioned, I think made them overachieve a bit. But yeah, if you look at that team on paper, the roster, that was a god awful team. <laughs> just to uh, remind people that this was the height of the Coyotes eating uh, bad contracts. And so we have uh, uh, names. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, this is uh, sort of uh, for Craig. This is like a horror show of names that I'm going to mention. It's like here. a graveyard of, of LTIR. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, we have, uh, and I'm sure good guys uh, who tried their best, but um, guys who are sort of at the back end of the career, obviously, like Louis Erickson and Andrew Ladd and Jay Beagle <laughs> and down down the line. So um wanted to, wanted to ask you, though, about uh, 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 Nee a, a little bit here and just... Um, you know, after the Coyotes, the Coyotes also started out here zero ten and one. And unlike the last Coyotes team we talked about, uh, they they were they were curb stomped uh, uh, quite a few times. They they weren't uh, nearly as close. And so yeah. this will remind you of the of the current Sharks, of course. And so what did uh, what did uh, Torini do, kind of to to uh, to get get their way out of this? Because actually, so after they start off zero ten and one, and people think that, well, is this Coyote team going to win 10 games? I mean, I think those are serious conversations that the, the low of the cap era is 48 points by the 2016-17 uh, avalanche. I'm sure there are people wondering if the Coyotes would even get to 30 points or, or, or something. And the Coyotes, though, um, this is a, 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 this is a, a hot streak uh, relatively. Um, from their 0 10 and 1 start up to around the trade deadline mid March, uh, they went 20, 26, and 3. And then they yeah. dropped off at the end of the season. But um, what happened there to kind of uh, turn this team into a surprisingly competitive team? I think a couple things. First of all, just sticking with the process. They, you know, you hear that a lot, but I think Andre really did convince them that, okay, they're going to be dark days here, but we are going to focus on the process, focus on mm -hmm. the systems that I'm trying to instill. 
and you'll have some more success. But I, I think the biggest key there was, again, just like that other team, goaltending. They had Carter Hutton to start that season. And Carter Hutton, you mentioned guys at the back end of their contract. Oh, yeah. Bill Armstrong just told me like two weeks ago, I finally, I fi finally heard this story that Carter Hutton told him before that season that he was going to retire at the end of the year. And Bill said, looking back on that, I probably should have said, uh-oh. <laughs> how, how, how dialed in is this guy going to be? Well, we go to Columbus. Well. <laughs> we go to Columbus for the first game of the season. Yeah, and you know, I I couldn't hear after that game because the cannon went off so many times in that building. They got blown out, and and that's when everybody was like, "Uh oh, this is going to be just historically bad hockey." Right. But Hutton got hurt pretty early in the season. They go out and get Scott Wedgwood, and suddenly. You know, between Karel Vimelka and, and Scott Wedgwood, they really stabilized the goaltending. Mm. They got pretty good goaltending, and that helped. Because as you guys know, when your goaltender is not stopping anything, it, it, it bleeds into the entire sure. team. Confidence. Mm -hmm. I start doing things that they shouldn't be doing on the ice to try and compensate for that. And you can't play effective hockey. But when they got that stabilized, it again, it, it bled out into the team. They played with a lot more confidence, and they had mm. more success. Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, parallels with the current Sharks. Mackenzie Blackwood has uh, led the Sharks to two straight wins. Um, I think he's made 80 saves in the last two games, <laughs> something like that. Feels like 150. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, the uh, the other point, the, the, the Sharks are 2-10-1. That other one point they have was a 51-save effort uh, from Mackenzie. And so, and the Kapokakinen has been pretty decent to himself this year, too. So both of them have been... Uh, bright spots on, on on this team so that's that's a good uh that's a good uh, a comp there uh with uh with the goaltending um was there ever a sense though during that losing streak to start the season going back to that just a little bit that just like oh man like just like again same question was there a low low in that point and was there a sense uh, at any point like man we we like we're gonna be lucky to win 10 games <laughs> yeah i i don't i never heard it expressly from the players but i mean you low point like uh, that columbus game that i mentioned it was just yeah. like a a shock like oh my god we're going to be this bad it, it it's going to be really <laughs> hard to watch this team and i think if carter hutton had remained in goal they they might have been yeah historically bad um but yeah I, I that would be the low point but i i never heard it specifically from the players but it was certainly talked around the rest mm. of the organization you heard those sure. and and as i mentioned earlier bill armstrong was transparent about that i don't know if he expected them to be as bad as they were to start that season, but he knew mm -hmm. they weren't going to be a very good team. That was on purpose. They mm -hmm. constructed a bad roster to lose games, to try and lose as many games as possible and get the number one overall pick, which the Coyotes never get anyway. They've never had a... I, I, I blow people away when I tell them this fact. When you consider how little success the Coyotes have had, they have never had a top two pick in the NHL. Oh, not even a number two? Even the Sharks no, have managed number, number two. two. Yeah, a couple not times there. Two. Wow. Yeah. So, so a, a reminder too, like if, if you're trying to lose for the number one, if, you, if you're going after Macklin Celebrini, uh, there's no guarantee <laughs> yeah. that the, the lottery is going to work out your way, especially, you know, if there's like a legacy team like the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Chicago Blackhawks also right. in the golf lottery. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about it. Anything, but maybe I am. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a little bit because it sounds like, you know, they didn't get the number one overall pick, but they did end up with like Logan Cooley at, at yes. number three, I think it was. So yeah. The, uh, the real gem of the draft apparently uh, might have fallen to three, but it mm. seems like this year kind of the 2021-2022 was about getting little pieces out, right? Like get little pieces of your future roster of today's Coyotes. Is, is that right? 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely accurate. Yeah. And, and Logan Cooley, you, you mentioned Logan Cooley. Like I talked to a lot of people before that draft who thought that he was the best player in the draft. Chris mm-hmm. Peters among them who mm-hmm. had him rated number one all along. And now you and I, look, look, you can't you can't judge these guys yet. We don't know what they're going to become. It's way too early to be rendering judgment on these players. But when you look at how much Uri Slavkovsky is struggling with the mantra, I mean, he, he was just here. The Canadians were here. And it was so clear that he does not belong in the NHL right now. He is, he, he looks slow footed. He, he had no confidence. He couldn't handle the puck. Um, and then you watch what Logan Cooley can do, even though he's still finding his way in a lot of ways. You saw the goal in Australia and you thought, oh, wow, okay. They might have, they might have gotten the number one overall pick, even though they picked at number three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Looking, uh, look, look, go, uh, going back to to this uh, 21-22 team. We'll close up, and then we will get to uh, get to the, the the draft because that's, of course, the the end goal mm-hmm. of all of this for uh, that that high pick. But uh, how how was that that room for 21-22 Coyotes? You said that uh, Bill did uh, put up put together a team of of good guys though, and guys that were uh, willing to to buy in. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned a lot of the names of the guys that they brought in. Antoine Roussel was another guy who was just a terrific mm-hmm. dressing room guy. You know, they've had. You look at this year's roster again, they have those type of guys, but like Patrick Nemeth, uh, so many of those players were quality human beings. And I think it it mattered. And they were trying uh, another word that you hear far too often in the NHL is culture. Mm. But, you know, the, I think it is important to have those veterans around young players to show them how the game is supposed to be played. Sure. And, and more than that, how to approach the game off the ice, uh, the, what, what you're doing with all of your habits away from the rink. Those guys are really important to instill that culture. So I'm, I'm actually forgetting your initial question, but those guys were really, really important in instilling that culture that they were trying to instill. And as was Andre Turunyi. No, you you answered it. Just was uh, sort of about the about the room and just a couple of uh, individual players I wanted to 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 ask you about. Um, uh, uh, Shane Goss, the Bear, is a guy that sort of refound yeah. his game and value in Arizona. And so that's something that Mike Rear is trying to do, too, picking up guys like Anthony Duclair, who scored just two goals last year. Uh, Philip Zadina, who uh, was uh, mutually a mutual termination with the Red Wings, guys like that. And so anyway, uh, how uh, how did a, a, a Goss the Bear uh, just uh, a, a pick up his game in Arizona? Well, first of all, opportunity. They they gave him a chance to play in the role that he was accustomed to playing in Philadelphia before his his minutes and his role were diminished there. Um, he believed he had the game still. There were a lot of people that thought after that knee injury that he had lost that explosive first step that allowed him to do a lot of what he could do. He never believed that. Mm-hmm. Did rediscover his game here. Of course, they eventually traded him at the deadline to Carolina. And now, you, I mean, you look at the start that he's off to now, it's pretty clear that Gostas Bear found his game again. Um, The other thing that I would say is this coaching staff, that, again, it's that connection. Bear believed in him, and he gave him opportunity, kept putting him out there. And and if you talk to Gostas Bear, it's funny, the the outside perception of the Coyotes because of the arena stuff and the ownership issues, it's, oh, it's a clown show. It's an awful organization. But once you get inside hockey operations and you talk to the players about their experience, there are so many guys that will tell you they loved playing here because of Andre Tourigny, because of the way that hockey operations approach it, because because of all the things that they've done, you know, to beef up that player experience, whether it's the nutritionist they have, the chef they have, there there are so many elements that Bill Armstrong has gotten right in hockey operations. So I think players actually have a very positive experience. This offseason, Nick Bustad and Troy Stetcher come back because they both loved playing here. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, going uh, uh, going uh, with uh, Turinier too, the the theme of sort of that coach that connects with his players. Um, the Sharks could have that in David Quinn too. Uh, David Quinn has you know been a, a bit under fire, obviously, for the way the Sharks started, and also too his time in New York uh, didn't uh, didn't quite end uh, well either. But uh, David is known as a player's coach. He's a guy that's going to have a lot of a lot of one on one time with his players, a lot of meetings and that sort of thing, and so he's going to build it's possible for him to build these close relationships because that's the kind of coach that david quinn is and um david does have a great relationship with a guy like jack eichel who he coached in uh, bu um mm-hmm. uh, had uh why i understand had lunch with him uh, uh recently just in the off season a guy that he doesn't even coach anymore and so that's a kind of um if you're looking for parallels um maybe maybe you see that with the quinn and, and, and Turine. yeah i wanted to ask you you mentioned mm-hmm. you know he's been under fire how transparent were the Sharks with what this season was going to look like? Did they expect it to look as bad as it has looked this far, uh, thus far? I think they were fairly transparent. They still don't like to use the word rebuild. I haven't heard Mike Greer say that actual word or President Jonathan Becker because they avoided that for years. Uh, for years at the end of the Doug era when, when the question was, was, is it time for a rebuild? Yeah, yeah it <laughs> and was they would re- say words like, Everything else, yeah, yeah, like retool, retool. Did they know internally, though, from your conversations, did they know internally it was going to be bad? They, they, they knew it was going to be bad. Uh, I, I don't think they knew it was going to be this bad. And that's 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 what when I say uh, Quinn was under fire, it's not because the the Sharks lost games. Everyone knew they were going to lose games this year. It's when you lose by. Uh, you give up uh, your first team since 1965. Yeah, back-to-back games to give up 10 yeah. goals. And your goal differential is on pace to uh, be the worst in league history, worse than the 1974-75 Capitals. So um, I think that, uh, if, you, if you can put it uh, uh, this way, um, I think that the Sharks probably thought that they would be closer to the 2017-18 Coyotes. And maybe not quite as good. You know, I don't think they really thought they were going to make the playoffs. But uh, instead that they end up closer to the 2021-22 Coyotes <laughs> or the 1974-75 Capitals. And so I don't think they thought they were, they were going to be this bad. Um, so, and, I guess the question way is, is how much of a um, – how much burden did they put on Quinn for, for winning, right? So, like, sure. that's kind of – the the you know the elephant in the room is is do they really expect Quinn to be winning with this roster? Um, and it doesn't sound like after because Greer came out a couple of days ago after the back to back horrible losses, kind of like in defense of Quinn in some ways, basically saying like he hasn't considered a coaching change, sure, um, sure. and and everything. So I think I don't think even Greer really kind of expected it to be this bad, but I don't. I also think they're giving Quinn quite a bit of leash. Okay, yeah, I just wonder because you, you can you're right about being fairly competitive you can't give up 10 goals in back-to-back games at any level right but you you have to at least set expectations for the fan base so they're not you set your coach up for failure if you don't if you're not honest with people and telling them it's going to be a rough season yeah yeah i i think the sharks do have a little i think they could be a little more transparent about that i like what the rangers did years ago just call it a rebuild Put yep. a letter out to the fans. The Flyers did. Just let 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 the fans know. Their fan the fans are are intelligent. They can see the product on the ice. And the fans obviously, and you you've been at SAP Center. Fans aren't going there even at the end of uh, the last couple of years when they were still trying to hang on with the Brett Burns and 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 those guys. Fans weren't going because they can see that the product on the ice just isn't isn't very good. And so I think that they can be maybe a little more transparent. But I think though it's it, it is fairly clear. I don't think there were 
kind of false expectations that that this team was 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 going to uh, you know make a surprise run uh, for the for the playoffs. But uh, uh, wanted to ask you too, actually, about the the defensive environment on the 21-22 Coyotes because you had a guy there in a in a, in a Moser who uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, I think surprisingly played a few games and. Um, the it's tough though for a defenseman. Uh, I think though this kind of uh, rebuilding environment, especially for a defenseman forwards, you can kind of experiment. And if you get beat, well, you have a defense and you have a goaltending to 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 uh, to bail you out. Uh, when you're on defense, you make a mistake. It's you and the goalie, and so that that's a bit tough. And so anyway, can you just talk about that a little bit? Because the Sharks have a couple guys that they've kept kind of down in the system, uh, chiefly uh, Shakir Mukhamadoulin, who is their top defensive prospect, because the environment just isn't good for a, a, a guy like that. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, in in most cases, I think you want you want to develop defensemen longer anyway. Their right. their curve is generally a little longer than than forwards when it comes to development. Anyway, JJ Moser is just a He's a unique case because, first of all, he was a little older when they got him up through the draft. Uh, he had he had passed through, but they were they were scouting him hard. They thought they were going to take him, and of course, did in the second round. Um, when he got to Tucson, they figured he was going to spend the entire season in Tucson, but they brought him up because of some injuries, and he impressed them so much with his mature game that he never went back. Uh, mm. So. You, you can have a player like that. Occasionally you have a guy who's ahead of the development curve and right. JJ, one of those guys. But but I agree with you, by and large, when you look at their prospects, uh, and some of them are just too young to, to even be at this level, but they are baking a lot of those guys down in Tucson or leaving them, you know, in, in whatever system they're in at this point. Most For the most part, their their blue line has been veteran-laden. They've, they've tried to go with veterans hmm. to bring that stability. And again, like you said, not to throw those young kids into a really tough situation where they might lose confidence because the, the, the team is defending so much and they're, they're probably getting beat and making mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, guys, if you're not familiar with Moser, it's a sort of interesting case. Uh, he was a 2021 uh, draft pick, 2021 second round pick. And then pretty much immediately uh, next season, he's in the Cowies lineup. And like Craig said, he's an older prospect. He was 21, but still, that still is kind of a remarkable leap. And you worry about uh, how the just the, the, the bad play around him uh, affects a defenseman like that. But you mentioned that JJ is sort of a, a special guy. Yeah, he is a mature kid too. Yeah. They they love him. I, I you look at this blue line now, and he is he's without question one of their top two defensemen. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that JJ Mosier slots in as a top pair defenseman down the road. Ideally, he's probably a second pair guy. Yeah, but with the the composition of the Coyotes right now, he's going to play up. Um, the, but the other guy, I know we're getting a little in the weeds here, but they they went out and acquired Sean Dursey this offseason, and sure. he's probably been the most pleasant surprise because there were a lot, there was a lot of talk about his defensive game sure, and there's so certainly work to be done there, but he's been a very effective player. Mm, mm, yeah. And I, I think uh, uh, for the the relevance for Sharks fans again, is that, yeah, you gotta be kind of a special player to be that young and stick and stick on, on, on the blue line. Uh, like, like Moser uh, has uh, for the Coyote. So yeah, that, that was an interesting guy to ask you about. And finally, I want to ask you about a uh, uh, Melka. And I think that, um, that's one of the things that Sharks fans maybe or early in the season, of course. But if the Sharks have found any solution in net, then that that can make a lot of this losing worth it because the Sharks obviously haven't had a stable goaltending really in the last of five, six years or so. And so if 
Mackenzie Blackwood is your answer and he's only 27. Maybe he's your long-term answer. And so I want to ask you about uh, Vamelka, just in the sense that um, if anything came out of that season, uh, you know, Vamelka's emergence and, oh, this is a guy that could be uh, sort of our guy when uh, we are competitive, again, like you guys, uh, like the Coyotes are right now, uh, that that's sort of a, a, a huge win right there. Yeah, it's a complex answer. I'll be on, honest with you. Um, so allow me a, a little attitude here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Vimelka, they thought was going to be in the AHL that season. Mm. The plan was to have Carter Hutton and Yosef Kozhanash as the backup. And, oh, sure. Former Shark, famously. Yes. Vimelka so badly outplayed Kozhanash in camp that there was no way they were going to do it. So they sent Kozhanash down. Vimelka was there. And then, of course, Carter Hutton struggles and he gets hurt. And suddenly Vimelka is your starting goaltender. And he played very well that season. He's a guy, of course, who was drafted originally by Nashville went back to play in Europe because he didn't want to play in the minor leagues where Nashville wanted him. He thought he could develop better in Czech and he sort of got forgotten about, but they had been scouting him. The Coyotes had been scouting him and, and signed him and brought him over. It was a, it was a, a bunch of their scouts that came together. Brian DeCord was with the organization back then. They have a, a, a scout in central Europe named Teal Fowler, who's becoming a bit of a legend because he keeps uncovering these gems. Mm -hmm. So they brought him over. He earns the starting job and really plays well. And he's played, he played well the, the past couple seasons. So yeah, you can look at that and say, okay, they signed him to an extension. Maybe this guy is the future. First off, be wary with goaltenders. How many of them actually sustain over that length of time? I, sure. There's not many if you start going through it. So to expect them Elko to be the guy when they emerge from the rebuild and are a playoff team, I don't know. He's only signed for two more years. The other side of that is, they claim Connor Ingram off waivers. They really thought he was a guy who was ready to take the next step. Kevin Woodley, I don't know if you guys follow him, with Within Goal Magazine, sure. mm -hmm. banging this drum with me for a very long time. If they're going to go get anyone, go get Connor Ingram. Well, they did. And you can make an argument now that Connor Ingram is a better goaltender than Kirill mm -hmm. There are a lot of people internally who believe that now. They just re-signed Connor Ingram. He's signed for a year longer than Domelka. Mm -hmm. So how this all plays out, we'll see. Kirill Vimelka could end up being a trade chip at some point. Right. I mean, I, I know there's a team in Edmonton that's probably looking for a goal. <laughs> I don't know what, what's going to play out here, but I, I, I'm always leery of predicting the future of goaltending because sure. the, the landscape shifts so often and so few guys are able to sustain that sort of success over a long period of time. Yeah, the Melka, yeah, the uh, sorry, one more thing. They have, they have a lot of prospects now. They just drafted three guys this year. So they're flooding their, their pipeline with guys, Michael Robbo is their top prospect now that they mm -hmm. lost both oh, right. Colorado. So we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, the um, Corral of Milka, like on Twitter and everything, is basically just his high danger save percentages is like amongst the top in the league over the past couple of seasons. And I, I yeah. wonder if that's just from um, like being put in those kind of positions. But you're right, a team <laughs> like Edmonton, who probably is giving up a lot of high danger chances right now, uh, might be able well, to Blackwood find with for the Sharks too. <laughs> yeah, nice kind of like Blackwood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this putting these positions where they're forced to be the number one and, you know, some of the shots might not be, you know, if everything was as good as their high danger save percentage, then they would have 950 save percentage, but they don't. But either right. way, I think it's it's an interesting thing that he came out of that season for the Coyotes. Yeah, he's, it, it was a, a great story because of you consider where he was. He was forgotten back in Europe. It, he didn't know if he, if he was ever going to get back to the NHL, if he's ever going to be granted an opportunity. But then he comes over and, and what transpired early in that season is just insane. From a guy that's supposed to be the starter in the AHL to a guy one month into the season that's the starter in the NHL. And 
has made a bit of a name for himself. People are aware of Karel Van Elkland. Yeah. They're still not aware enough of some other Coyotes. J.J. Mosier is a guy that's probably just flying completely under the radar, but is a very good defenseman. And I'm going to bang this drum again. Matthias Michelli somehow finished fourth <laughs> behind Stuart Skinner in last yeah. year's Calder Trophy voting, which is absolutely criminal when you compare their two seasons. I actually voted uh, a Skinner in the top three, so... <laughs> Okay, I'm criticizing. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's is. okay. That's okay. Well, mm-hmm. uh, we could have a brief discussion about. So I'm just curious. Um, Skinner was the number one goalie. Granted, it was a pretty good team in front of him, but he managed to help the the Oilers. Obviously, Campbell struggled last year too, and so uh, why uh, uh, why why are you anti-Stewart, uh, Craig? I'm not so much anti-Stewart <laughs> as I am that he had slightly above average season when you looked inside the numbers. He just got a lot of wins, and that's what I kept hearing from people. He got a lot of wins. Well, yeah, his team was scoring a lot of goals, so Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on his team. He wasn't that great last season. He was, like I said, slightly above average. Matias Michelli led the all-NHL rookies in points per game. If he hadn't gotten hurt for those 18 games, I, I still wonder if he would have been in the top three. I thought he deserved to be there anyway, and then when you look at the traje- trajectories of those two players this season. That's fair. He's yeah. yeah. been even better, and Stuart Skinner has been abjectly horrible. I would say, uh, yeah, in my defense, though, yeah, those, uh, those 18 games uh, uh, gone are definitely mean mean a lot to me. Um, just for example, uh, if Kale McCarr had been healthy last season, I think Kale missed about 18, 20 games too. I might have picked him over Eric Carlson, no matter how many points Eric scored, because Kale would have probably ended up in the 90s, of, like pretty close, maybe not quite 100, but with uh, better defensive play and whatnot. And so, uh, so that does, in my defense. <laughs> yeah, I think you get a little bit of a... Um, of a disadvantage when you played like a, a smaller market like uh, Arizona and everything True. if you miss time on top of it even though watching Michelli this season you're right it, he's a special player it's it's tough to get the the votes from everybody yeah it, definitely the market matters I, I remember when he made all rookie team last season I tweeted it out with with a story and I got literally got a, a serious response from a bunch of people who are not in this market saying who like I hadn't even heard of Matias Michelli somehow, which just blows my mind. That's that's fine for fans, uh, you know, for voters. I you know expect a higher standard. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Last time you ever on the show, Craig. <laughs> I think you. I think you also knew who he was at least, Shang. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yes, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> Shang and I actually talked about this. Shang had his argument. I'm just I'm just mad at him. There are people that had arguments for for not in the 18 games is is certainly the most sure. Most prevalent among those. If he had played those games, he probably would have been. He, he might have won the scoring title. Who knows? And hey, you know, Edmonton obviously is a very tough market to goaltend in. So even if you do above average, I mean, it's a market where if you have two bad games in a row, they want to ship you off to to Bakersfield. So and they, they did that with Jack Campbell basically. So well, he's had two bad seasons. <laughs> two bad seasons. That's fair. Well, That's fair. That's one fair. And a half. <laughs> Actually, I do want to ask you. This is a little aside, but you mentioned a uh, Teal Fowler, and um, I was not—I I didn't really know Teal Fowler, but his name is spelled, by the way, guys, T E A L. And so I don't know why he's not working for the Sharks. The Sharks <laughs> should <laughs> definitely uh, uh, snag him. But anyway, uh, what are some of uh, Teal's uh, finds? Uh, JJ Moser was another one, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, when you look at any player that comes from those Central European nations, whether it's Germany. Oh. Like, Maximilian Zuber, uh, Julian Lutz, those are two prospects that he scouted primarily. Mm. Um, so anybody who comes from Germany, mm-hmm. Czechia, Slovakia, Switzerland, that's going to be Teal's area of expertise. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's a European amateur scout and he's, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He has, he's got the central 
Central European nations. Uh, mm. it, he lives in Heidelberg. I actually saw him this summer because mm. I was in Heidelberg and had dinner with him. A fascinating guy who coached uh, Adler Mannheim for a long time, won championships. So he's got okay. he's got a fascinating background, but he okay. knows he knows that area. He has so many contacts and some guys. I don't know what it is because I think it's probably the hardest job in the NHL. I have no idea how you project 17 and 18 year old kids as NHL players. I just don't know how they do it. And you see the success rate. It's low. This yeah. guy just has a knack for spotting talent. He just mm. has that. whatever it is. He's got it. What is your opinion? What is, what is a high, a high success rate for a scout? It's, I imagine it's, it's like being uh being a, a major league, a major league, a hitter. Like if you hit 300, then you, mm -hmm. you know, either hit three out of 10, then you're doing great. Well, it's hard to know because there's so many scouts and everybody has input in those meetings. Right, and you're only, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, in the Coyotes case, you might get 11 or 12 guys in a draft because they have so much draft capital. But how many of your guys are actually going to make it onto the board? But you'll always hear like scouting directors say, if you get two players out of a draft, that was a good draft, mm -hmm. which is crazy. The, the, the seven, basically. Yeah. 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 It's nuts, right. That's about 300. <laughs> Thereabouts, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, baseball, yeah. Uh, but anyway, Teal Fowler. So this is uh, uh, also, I didn't know he was uh, German too. So Hasso Plattner. Uh, he's American. Uh, he's American. Oh, he's American. Oh, he's yeah, American? He's okay. So. Going over there to play and then oh, okay. met his future wife and fell in love with Germany ah, and he just stayed. Okay. And actually, having visited Heidelberg for the first time, I understand why he stayed because it's mm -hmm. a, a phenomenal place. Nonetheless, yeah, Hasse Plattner, uh, German owner of the Sharks, a guy's right in your backyard. This is a guy to to reel oh, in. Sure. I mean, come on, Teal Fowler. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, just to wrap up with this 2021-22 uh, uh, team, before we kind of get to finish off with some sort of uh, Sharks-relevant points, um, uh, any other positives or negatives from this season that uh, you, you wanted to share, That things that maybe uh, the Sharks can, can learn or pick up from? Oof. Positives. Can I say that? <laughs> they got out of the season finish. Yes, you can say that. <laughs> they left Glendale, which was which was the original sin for this franchise. I'll put it that way. That everything that you've heard about the Coyotes' struggles in this market goes back to that decision to move west to Glendale. Um, Richard Burke, the guy who owned the team at the time when they came from Winnipeg, um, he had a partner. Steve Ellman, who wanted to move the team to Glendale because they offered him a sweetheart deal. They were still in negotiations to build an arena in Scottsdale, but mm -hmm. that hit some snags. Ellman wanted to jump to the west side. Burke said, it's never going to work out there. You don't have the fan base. You don't have the wealth base. You don't have the corporate mm -hmm. base. You're not going to have success out there. So if you want to do it, you need to buy me out. Ellman did. They moved the team west in 2003, and it's been an odyssey ever since. And now, of course, they're still trying to get an arena built. So I know that's not the answer you were expecting, but I got to go there because I want I want to get it out there to as many people as possible to understand the situation here in Arizona, why they have struggled for two decades. It mm -hmm. all goes back to that. I often wonder if they had just stayed with the Scottsdale plan, built it there, if Richard Burke still owned the team, not the parade of owners that we've seen come in sure. since, how much different this franchise would look. But they needed to get out of Glendale at some point. They realized it. Playing at Mullet Arena is not the solution, obviously, but they, they they need to be on the east side of town because this is where the population base, the wealth base, the corporate right. base of the city is. It all makes sense, the areas where they're looking to build an arena. 
Right, and uh, for uh, fans who who aren't aren't aware, um, so um, Glendale is what is it like forty minutes, uh, thirty minutes um, uh, west of of downtown? Is that is that about right? It, it all depends on traffic. Um, right. I I have been on that freeway for two hours, thinking okay. I should packed water because it's just so painful <laughs> to drive out there sometimes. Yeah, it it all depends on traffic, but it it's right. again, it's just it's people didn't go. They didn't right. go. The point is just it's too. You it's guys, too you live in a western city. People don't in the yeah. east don't understand how people behave in western cities. They're not going to do that. They're just mm -hmm. not going to go that far for a game. It's too much of a hassle. They're I will too say many options. the 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 Arizona Cardinals play out in Glendale uh, next to where uh, Jobbing Gila River, wherever the Coyotes used to play out there in Glendale. But that's the NFL though. That's a different thing. So yeah, that's well, Sunday. Yeah, the NHL, yeah. Oh, so it's Sunday. Sunday so no traffic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but if you're the NHL, it does make sense. You got to centralize. I mean, they have the same problem in Ottawa, uh, yeah. where the Senators have played for years in Kanata, which is a good 30 minutes away from downtown. And uh, Kanata is a very Florida pleasant too. place. Yeah, huh? Sunrise is the other great. Oh, right. That's another good yeah. example too, right? And so you really do do hurt your your teams. I mean, you get if you're the owners, you get nice deals. You make money maybe from mm -hmm. it. The, the 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 city pays you to be out there, but it hurts the team long run for sure. And I guess since we have you on here, uh, so Craig, everyone's always asking about the Coyotes Arena situation. So where are we at uh, at this moment, uh, November tenth at ten a.m. Oh boy. Well, you probably know already that they announced that they had a letter of intent on one site in Northwest Mesa. Uh, mm -hmm. After the Tempe vote failed, they started looking at other areas. And this was this site is actually only about four miles from the Tempe site. So mm -hmm. still in a great area for them. Um, but then beyond that, they're, they're, they're about to announce sometime this month, I think, or at, at the very latest, early December, they're going to announce another site. Um, I think it's going to be in Phoenix on the east side of Phoenix. Those are probably going to be the two finalists that they're considering for where to build an arena. And then uh, you've probably heard Gary Bettman say it, and he's he's told me it multiple times. The All-Star break is the, the date that they're targeting for announcing concrete plans on where they're mm -hmm. going to build this arena. Now, they still have to close the deal, right? There's still a lot right. of complications. It's not like this is a simple thing to get an arena built in a market, but that's the timeline right now. We'll see if they get it done. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll be honest my myself like uh, you know seeing this from a from a distance I mean, I mean I I I had to compare that there are markets out there that don't have teams that would immediately support a team that that comes there. But I recognize what you're saying, Craig. That um, in a lot of ways uh, the Glendale being there out there for two decades that there was maybe never a, a fair chance to see what the Coyotes could do with a successful team and to be in downtown Phoenix. And so I am hoping that that can happen. We can see for all the you know, NHL has has bent over backwards it seems to keep. Uh, keep the Coyotes there, and so hopefully, you know, they, they end up right because it is it is a huge market there. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, it and when you look at the growth of hockey here, um, you look at USA Hockey numbers. Mm, youth hockey point. is growing yeah. exponentially here. It's mm. always one of the top five uh, states for growth, and obviously, you're starting from smaller numbers, so that factors into it. But growth here has been immense. I, I just wrote a story because the the rivalry series between Canada and the U.S. for women's hockey opened it, its series here. They played at Mullet Arena the other night. Girls hockey is blown up in Arizona. And then you look at the fact that Arizona State University has a Division I program. Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy to see what's happened in this market. I do believe that if they're in the right area, they can succeed. You have to win in these markets. You have sure. to win. 
I do believe that there is a, a possibility forward if they can get this arena done in the right part of town. They just haven't had that advantage. And then when you look at all the struggles, when you're not making money from, from the arena and the NHL is more arena dependent for its revenue than any other league, sure. when you're not making those revenue, that revenue, it filters down to everything else that you can do. It impacted the way that the, 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 the scouting staff that the Coyotes could hire, the development staff that they could hire, the players that they could spend upon. And, and, and when you don't have the scouting staff, you're making mistakes in the draft. And you can go through the Coyotes draft history and say, whoa, that, I mean, there was enormous mistakes made because they didn't have the resources to devote to it. So mm. it filters down to everything. It all starts with, with the arena and ownership. At least this year, it seems the Coyotes are um a more competitive team because uh I, or at least than i've watched in the past couple of years and um you know just because the sharks have been so bad i've been catching a few coyotes games <laughs> just to kind of like you know watch, my good palate, hockey. watch some like decent hockey so i, I oh, guess let, talk a little bit that spot right there okay can, can i just clip uh, that you've been, skip you've been watching coyotes games instead of your own team i don't hear that yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, they're like Logan our, Cooley. <laughs> yeah, Logan Cooley is kind of done. I think um, I have Karel Vamelka in one of my fantasy leagues. A couple of reasons. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I guess I'd speak a little bit about that and, and that kind of importance for the season because they are in Mullet Arena to just kind of maintain a little bit of that um, momentum, I guess, going forward as they need a new arena soon. Yeah, and that's that's an important point, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because I mentioned, you know, the pressure from Clayton Keller and 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 maybe others. Like Nick Schmaltz was on the market last year, but the reason they didn't move him was probably because of Clayton Keller. If 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 they mm. traded Nick Schmaltz, Clayton Keller probably would ask for a trade too. So mm. understanding those dynamics and how it impacts what they did in the offseason is really important. They 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 beefed it up because they had to keep their core satisfied. But the other half of it is you have to give your fan base some hope. You can't just say, right. hey, we're gonna be we're going to be doing this for five years. And oh, by the way, we're playing at a 4,600 seat college arena. It's those are tough optics. So yeah, you, you're more competitive. You're giving people a reason to come back to, to, to come watch the games. I don't know if you have you been to mullet Chang? I have been. Yeah, actually, oh, I was going to say that it's an absolutely fantastic experience. Uh, yeah. uh, if you're an angel fan, um, you should, it's not going to be often that, that you're going to see. And all the jokes to, are, are warranted. I mean, it's a college arena. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you're on a college campus. I mean, what else can you say about that? But uh, to see an NHL game in a 5,000, 4,000-seat arena, I mean, it's like watching, like, Bruce Springsteen in a in a 4,000. You know, you, that's great. Uh, just a great intimacy, uh, great seat. The call, the the student section is fantastic. So, yeah, it's a, it's a definitely something that every fan should do while they're yeah. still at Mullet. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so it, it, I think they've given their fan base enough carrots to, to keep stringing them along that hopefully we're going to get out of this. Obviously, the arena is a massive piece and I have no idea what happens if it falls through. We can, we can talk about that if you want. I mean, I've been hearing, oh, the Coyotes are going to this city or this city for for 15 years. Uh, yeah. I've, I've read the national reports. They're definitely going here. So I, I take all of that with a grain of salt because I, I, I know how much they're committed to this market. And I've been told that there are other local ownership options if this group can't get it done. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how all that plays out. But I think that they've, they've strung them along well enough by making this team more competitive, by giving yeah. them a fun environment there. And then I think the fan base is, has always been very realistic. They've had their eyes wide open to what this was going to be, thanks to Bill Armstrong. And they see the moves that he's making, even though the Coyotes haven't landed the top one or the top top two picks in the draft. 
they, they have a lot of interesting prospects. Their pipeline looks good. They have 13 draft picks in the first two rounds over the next three drafts. So they're going to accumulate a lot more great assets. They, they like what's happening in hockey operations. So there's, there's hope for the future here, again, provided they can get the arena built. Well, let's get to get to the draft a little bit. And I, I think uh, that uh, the 2018 Coyotes and how they drafted and the 2022 Coyotes and how they drafted are very instructive in terms of you can do all all, all, all you can to uh, quote unquote tank or get that high pick, uh, but you got to stick the pick. And the 2018 Coyotes, number five, they drafted Hayton and uh, Zadina went number six. And of course, both teams missed out. Hayton's a good player, but both teams missed out on Quinn Hughes, of course. And but the 2022 Coyotes, we talked about um, uh, Logan Cooley. And so that's a pick that looks like appears that the Coyotes really did stick right there. And so anyway, uh, just can you talk about the 2018 a little bit and sort of uh, the, the decision to get Hayton to pass on Hughes? It's interesting. You know, you remember that one of the Kachuk boys was there, but went right before Barrett Hayden. I had heard that even if Kachuk had been on the board, the Coyotes were still going to take Barrett Hayden. Can you wow. imagine the optics wow. of that in Arizona of all places? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, John Schreiker was really sold on Barrett Hayden. He really yeah. loved his game. And Barrett Hayden's not a number one center. I'll, I'll just come out and say it. He's playing number one center right now because they don't have better options between Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller. Mm-hmm. I think he can be a top nine center, and I think he can be a really effective one because a lot of the pieces of his game away from the puck are good, but he hasn't yeah. produced consistently. He had that run near the end, the second half of last season, where he's producing. Well, he, he's struggling to produce points again this season. So you can certainly go back and question that. And and listen, every GM has that on their resume where, oh, I should pick this guy instead of that guy. That's goes back to what we were talking about earlier, projecting uh, 17 and 18 year old kids. Quinn Hughes is having right now. Yeah, he's probably the leader for the Norris Trophy. He's been absurd with how good he's been. We'll see if the Vancouver Canucks can sustain that. Um, but yeah, that you was the uh, sorry to interrupt you. That was something that that kind of stuck out to me watching those that team uh, this year. It was just that Hayton doesn't seem like he kind of seems like the third wheel of that line. He does a lot of like net front work, and he he yeah. definitely like tries to do that repeatedly. But I think that that's kind of it. He just gets to the front of the net and stays there and obviously that's like where a lot of players make their money but it doesn't seem like he matches the skill level of, of schmaltz and keller all yeah he's got to finish long. right he can't finish mm-hmm. uh, the, the net front is important in creating space for them especially with the way you you uh, keller and schmaltz like to operate high in the zone with all the motion it works yeah. well he's drawing the defense down and another thing that barrett hayden does that goes completely unnoticed that is critical to offensive zone time possession whether it's on the power play or five on five is He's great at puck retrievals. He'll win battles mm-hmm. and pucks back. So that that's a critical piece for this line as well. But if you're playing first line center, you better be producing points, and he's not. So they hope that that happens at some point soon. But we're, we're getting to the point in Barrett Hayton's career where you say, all right, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe that's not who he is. Maybe he's better served as a number three center in this lineup. I'm not even convinced Logan Cooley's number one center, by the way. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out. But if you can slot Barrett Hayton in at number three, you're probably still happy if you, you've got Cooley, Hayton, and Jack McBain, but you're still missing that guy maybe yeah, at the top. Yeah. You'll need another top six center to really believe that you can be anything more than just a playoff team. 
Right, right, right. Well, uh, Craig, really appreciate uh, your time here. Uh, I don't know if you have any other sort of, um, uh, I guess, lessons or things that the Sharks can take from uh, these uh, Coyote teams. I think we've we've kind of run the gamut of you know, got to stick your draft picks. Uh, uh, you got to do well with sort of the guys like the Gosta Bear, the sort of the reclamation projects that you take in. And if you can figure out your goaltending, um, then then that's that's a huge win. But you got uh, anything else uh, there for us? Yeah, I just I don't know what the the Sharks plan is. I haven't studied it, but yeah, acquiring draft capital obviously is a key to to a rebuild and acquiring a lot of it. The Coyotes have gotten really creative with some of those things. I mean, they they have they've given up nothing for players in some instances. They literally gave Philadelphia nothing for Shane Gostisbehere, not the player and got a second round draft pick. So, if you can swing deals like that, if you can be as creative and successful as Bill Armstrong, that's going to help jumpstart the rebuild greatly. For you guys personally, I recommend that you implement something like our pack therapy to help you get through <laughs> the next few seasons. And it, you know, if you if if your outlet's okay with it, maybe maybe you want to drink on air as well to help you get through it. Yeah, we had a, a so uh, we do a subscriber mailbags from time to time. So, uh, you, you yeah, the, our subscriber mailbag uh, <laughs> we had after the Sharks uh, before their win. So that when the Sharks were zero ten and one, um, everybody's. Uh, Drop security questions from about everybody. Uh, the AHL coach, David Quinn, Mike Rear, the the president of the Sharks, who's more in business, Jonathan Becker, even the owner is is also <laughs> going to sell the team. And then my favorite one, actually, you'll appreciate this one, Craig, was uh, will all this be a perfect storm to blow the Sharks out of San Jose? So even a relocation oh, wow. question. There you go. Wow. You guys are really in it now. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. You're we're living in my world now. That's hard to do. Yeah, what's your, what's right your drink of choice? What's your drink of choice? Then? Yeah, in, we, in, in we, at CHNX, we actually have a partnership with a fantastic local brewery in Tempe, which you should nice. visit if you come to another game called Four Peaks. So they, okay. they provide us with beer. We are actually allowed to drink this beer on the air. And we have done so at times because it's it's really free, good. Beer. Free beer too. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Shane, I don't know what we're doing here. You know, <laughs> you get that's all we need is free beer. We don't need, we, don't, yeah. we just need a, a sponsorship that pays us in free beer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't need money. We just need beer because this whole, this season's going to be very long for the Sharks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Craig. This was, uh, this was very enlightening and, and um, it's good to see the, the Coyotes uh, going back to some winning ways this year for sure. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I, I do believe that they're on, as far as hockey operations, they're on the right path. This is, I, I should have said it before, but I've obviously covered this team for, for a very long time. From a hockey operations standpoint, from top to bottom, from management to, mm. to scouting to development, this is the most locked in I've ever seen this hockey operations department. This is the most complete hockey ops department they've ever had. I mean, it's not like there haven't been successful Coyotes teams. I mean, there was conference finals teams, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, anytime you have a guy named Teal Fowler on your staff, you're uh, built for success, right? You can't have him. You can't have him. <laughs> and players like Liam O'Brien, like gee, he's just so much fun to watch. Like that, yeah. like watching him yesterday was just—he's chasing down a Blues player trying to find him for yeah, to get player, yeah. Just the yeah. hair and the beard alone are enough for me with Liam O'Brien. But then when yeah. you talk to him, he's just a fascinating guy. So yeah, it's fun to cover him. Okay. Thanks so much, Craig. All right, guys. Thanks hey, for having Craig. me.